Dear listeners, I'm Lauren Conlon, and before you embark on this investigative journey with me, I want to offer a sincere word of my acknowledgement and gratitude. When I, as the host, first set out on this path, I was admittedly very green. I lacked the seasoned expertise and finesse that comes with experience in investigative podcasting and reporting. However, Every story has a beginning and an ending, and this podcast represents the start of my own investigative odyssey. So as you dive into these episodes, you may notice rough edges or moments where my inexperience shines through, but please know that every stumble and misstep has been a crucial part of my learning process, and I've embraced each challenge as an opportunity for growth and improvement. So I want to express my heartfelt appreciation to each and every one of you who was stuck with the story despite my imperfections because Grant's story is important. So your support and patience have been invaluable as I've navigated the complexities of investigative podcasting and your feedback, whether constructive criticism, words of encouragement, or maybe something that wasn't so nice has helped me and helped shape this podcast into what it is today. So without further ado, here is Corruption, What Happened to Grant Solomon. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Lauren Conlon, and welcome to Corruption. What happened to Grant Solomon? We have a really informative episode this week featuring the host of the Stories from the Mortuary podcast, Awalani Santiago. Awalani and I get into detail on why exactly and scientifically Grant's body postmortem didn't match the medical reports and the accident reports. We also get into detail about the funeral home. Awalani discloses to me a few things 
that the owner of the funeral home did that could be considered very shady or potentially illegal. So we are back in the ditch, as horrible as that sounds, we are focusing on the mysterious death of Grant and all of the inconsistencies that go along with it. Now, before we get into the interview, there is something I want to briefly touch upon that I discussed last week. It's not crazy important, but I do want to make sure I get all the facts straight when I put this information out there. So last week, I discussed briefly that Angie Solomon and somebody from GCA had gone to the police, Jeff Long specifically, to report Aaron Solomon as a groomer. And basically, when I say groomer, they reported that Aaron Solomon slid into a young woman's DMs, one of Grant's friends, and that was highly inappropriate, and he was saying inappropriate things. So that case was passed along to Detective Tamika Sanders. I had mentioned Jeff Long left it open-ended. Well, he actually passed this, this case along. So the findings of the case turned out to be, quote-unquote, unfounded, because I guess the girl had just turned 18. And as we all know, you are legally an adult at 18. But the fact was was this. Aaron Solomon added her as a friend on Instagram, started commenting on her posts. I guess when somebody put a or she put a story post up, he would he would respond to it. She did tell Detective Sanders that nothing inappropriate was said. And by the way, she said all of this on the phone. She was never even called down to the station to answer any of these questions. So she said all of this on the phone. She said that yeah, no, he didn't say anything inappropriate, but she found him very creepy the way he added her as a friend and started commenting on things. And she had heard, quote unquote, weird things about him. And she also found it very odd that he would hug his daughter, Gracie, for long periods of time and awkwardly play with her hair when it was, or Gracie's hair, when it was very clear that she did not want anyone to play with her hair, especially uh, her father. So yeah, none of that is illegal, obviously, or a crime, but I definitely felt the need to clarify all of that and just sort of add that, sure, maybe the claims were unfounded because she was 18, but I do find that very weird because it's not like this young girl was family friends with the Solomons, so it's not like she was spending you know, a lot of time at Aaron Solomon's house with Grant and Gracie. It wasn't like that. He just randomly added her. So I would say it's more believable slash okay if it's like a family friend type of thing. But this was not the case at all. So yeah, just another creepy thing that Aaron Solomon did. And I guess, like, yes, these claims were unfounded, but still it happened and it was reported to the police that they felt that this, this behavior by Aaron Solomon was inappropriate. And I just want to note that he, you know, he still hangs out at the schools on a, on a weekly basis. So yeah, take that for, for what you will. He is, he's around GCA watching the sports games, you know, hanging around the kids. As far as I know, I've seen pictures. People have sent them to me, but yeah, I mean, feels kind of weird. Anyway, uh, one other thing I want to add, I want everyone to go to the show notes because I put in the notes section 
Some information that was sent to me by a listener. Um, we also follow each other on Twitter. He's wonderful. He lives somewhat nearby Gallatin, and he drove to Gallatin over the weekend, and he did an accident reconstruction on his own. And it's much easier for you to read in the notes because it's very mathematical. He really focuses on the position of the tires, where Aaron Solomon said that the tires were uh, at a 90-degree angle. He basically goes through this whole thing and says, no, it's impossible. They would have to be at a 30 degree angle. So go to the notes. You'll see what I'm saying. He also makes it a point uh, to, and again, I, I write all of this out, but he makes it a point to try to get his car to switch gears while he's halfway in the ditch. And he says it's very, very difficult for the car to even come out of park, to to kind of fall down in the ditch in the first place. So yeah, all very weird. Things we probably should have known initially <laughs> through the Gallatin PD, but yeah, that didn't happen. So anyway, I will stop talking now and I will play my interview, my very informative interview with Awalani Santiago of the Stories of the Mortuary podcast. All right, we have Awalani Santiago from Stories from the Mortuary Podcast. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. Um, my name's Awalani, just like you said. I host Stories from the Mortuary. As of right now, I am about two-thirds of the way through my mortuary science program at St. Petersburg College. This semester, because I am taking summer classes, I'm in funeral law and then funeral services, marketing and merchandise. So that's all about selling the caskets and urns and what merchandise we offer. Um, yeah. So even though I haven't worked in a funeral home, I still am, you know, studying right alongside with everyone else who's in these classes getting ready for the national board examination. The one thing about funeral services is that even though there is a kind of like federal regulation through the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, every single state has their own set of laws. So I still have to study everything specific to Florida. But the national board examination is going to be kind of the we're all taking the same type of exam. But okay, that's where so I'm at right now. You're located in Florida then? Yes, Florida-based, uh, okay. Orlando. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good to know. So what is your background on science? I plugged your podcast, your episode, Something Rotten in the State of Tennessee, because I found it to be so informative. And because you go into this, this detail that I could barely understand at some point, I'm just like, wow, this is incredible. So yeah, tell us about just your science background before we get into things. Yeah, definitely. So funny enough, I actually also have a degree, a degree in theater, like you had mentioned. Yeah. So <laughs> I graduated from Florida State in 2019, and I have a bachelor's of arts in theater. So of course that's un, not you know, not related to science, but uh, I was inspired to you know go into the scientific field because I had always wanted to get into medicine. I wanted to be a doctor from a young age just had the anxiety of working with living patients. So decided I could help those who no longer have a voice. And that includes those like Grant, because Grant isn't here to speak for himself anymore. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Yes, definitely. I haven't 
worked, like I said, in the science field yet, but I am a student of science. So I'm kind of learning right along with you, which is why when I was writing that episode, I had to do a lot of my own research, just Mm -hmm. figuring out some of that terminology, the medical paperwork, um, because the stuff that I study specifically is all the stuff with the funeral home. But as far as the medical jargon, Mm -hmm. you know, It's very much the student approach where whatever you don't know, you ask questions on. But I also think that's a great way to approach this case, right? Right, Whatever we don't know, we ask questions on and kind of investigate further. Yeah. And we've all had a lot of questions. A lot of us have had the same questions. And before we get into what you discovered about the funeral home and the funeral home director and the owner, I do want to go over with you Grant's body again and the biggest inconsistencies that you saw or you studied uh, between his body postmortem, the accident report and the medical report. Oh yeah, definitely. So now from the paperwork, mm-hmm. the only injury that was indicated on his body uh, besides that bruise on his cheek was the scalp laceration. Mm-hmm. And on the paperwork, there are up to, I believe, 31 or 32 possible injuries that can be marked, including burn, abrasion, scratches. None of those are marked. And it's not necessarily that in of, it, of itself that's suspicious because you can get a scalp laceration from getting hit by a car. So if you get hit by a vehicle and you fall on the ground and hit your head, whether it's the impact of the car or the impact of your head hitting the ground, you can get a laceration. But as far as the fact that there is other injuries missing is what doesn't line up. So when I read, uh, it was a medical journal published in 2016 that was talking about the injuries that occur with um, accidents that, sorry, it was accidents about um, victims who get, you know, drug underneath vehicles. And so this doctor went through all the different injuries. One of them is abrasion. And abrasion is that kind of like pulling and tearing of the muscle and skin. It's kind of like when you get degloved or something like that. He also mentioned burns because, you know, if you're trapped underneath the vehicle, you get burned from the exhaust. Mm -hmm. And Grant was driving for almost an hour. That vehicle would have been really, really hot underneath. And on top of that, I believe it was about 85 degrees that day, too. So you have the exterior heat um, just from the weather itself. So there were no cuts, no burns, no abrasions, no scrapes. And this is after being dragged almost 75 feet total. The parking lot is about 50 feet. The ditch is about 25 with rocks in it. And even if he wasn't drug long enough for him to have scratches, even his clothes would indicate something. So um, where I work right now, I actually make costumes for Universal. And one of the things we do for distressing is we'll sometimes take sandpaper to fabric and you kind of, you know, it's abrasion and you're, you're weathering it. So you would be able to tell if his clothes were drug against that kind of gridded surface of the pavement. Another example actually occurs in the case of James Bird Jr., which is one of the most infamous dragging cases out there. That was the the man who had been dragged behind his truck. And what happened there is when they took his body in for autopsy, besides the fact that he his body wasn't whole when they took him in, they actually found pieces of gravel and pavement all the way up into his groin embedded in his skin. So 
that would be considered a foreign body. Again, on mm. that medical checklist, but I foreign bodies were checked off. Sorry to interrupt you. I let you say this with such a sweet <laughs> voice. I'm like, how do you speak so oh. sweetly when you're talking about picking gravel out of a body? Sorry, continue. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I appreciate you. I try to keep it as lighthearted as we can. It's a really yeah. dark subject matter. Yeah, very dark. But just to, to quickly ask you, so you're you're saying 60 feet would be enough for Grant's body to have these distressing marks and, or potentially rocks or gravel embedded in his body, in your opinion? Yes. In fact, from personal experience, even being dragged with your own body weight a foot across pavement will cause abrasions. When I was a child, I was like longboarding with my brother. I went to try to stop myself with my knee because my my body was really close to the ground. And I stop myself with my knee. And again, it was only six inches to a foot. And I still have that scar to this day, you know, almost 20 years later. So the fact that he has no abrasions whatsoever, and some of the abrasions that are specific to those dragging injuries, um, they call them the injuries, they have a target-like appearance. And pretty much like if you have a rounded surface, that round part at the top is going to grind down more. Like if you had a jawbreaker, right? If you imagine a jawbreaker, you have all the different layers inside of that candy. You start sanding away at it and you look inside, you see all the different layers. And if you're dragged long enough, you can grind down to bone. In fact, um, they were even able to tell with James Bird Jr.'s body that he kept his head up while he was being dragged because his brain didn't have injuries, but the rest of his body did. Mm. Whereas in that medical journal I was referring to, they weren't able to keep their head up. So it actually, they had abrasions all the way through their skull with exposed brain matter. So and pretty much any way you slice it, even if you are being dragged a foot, Mm -hmm. but your skin is contacting that pavement, it's going to be torn away. There's going to be blood left behind. There's going to be possibly dirt in your skin. There's going to be other indications. But the fact that there was none of it, Mm-hmm. is what's so just completely bizarre. Yeah, there was zero. There was zero. Um, and I guess the timelines are a little bit funny because the Gallatin PD did not put timestamps on some of their police reports. So I'm wondering, I guess, when they're speaking to Aaron Solomon about this and what happened and they're taking these notes, I guess they're not processing this to go and ask maybe a paramedic or just take a peek down into the ditch to sort of look at his body because if they did i find it really hard to believe that not one officer maybe would step up and say wait a second this doesn't make sense um that's that's pretty troubling to me but i guess that that's very eye opening i i knew the term abrasion i knew that there should be abrasions all over his body based on the dragging but i think the way you just said that and positioned it makes so much sense. Um, so thank you for clarifying that. Is there anything else you want to add about the body or the medical examination before we get onto the funeral home? Oh yeah. Just one more thing just about the position of his body. Um, so his head was facing toward the, I believe it was facing toward the building and his legs were facing towards the sidewalk. And that is so completely bizarre because even if you did a simple experiment where you took a Hot Wheel car and a Lego person, now, regardless of where that Lego person is facing, if they're facing towards the car or away from the car, their feet are going to stay in place 
and their head is that's what's going to reach the ground. It's the basic laws of inertia. An object in motion stays in motion. An object at rest stays at rest. So the fact that his feet were facing in the opposite direction indicates that he would have been hit from the opposite direction because unless he was crouched underneath the vehicle and then just got pulled in a different but again you're going we're going so far out of the realm of what even seems reasonable to try to justify that and even if he did got folded underneath the car why aren't there burns from underneath that where is it mm-hmm. i mean even if you go to touch your tire outside just to like get something out of it you get dirty just yeah. by touching it even touching sometimes you know exterior parts of your car or underneath to grab something you get dirty so even if he wasn't there long enough to get burned just touching that vehicle would have left something on him you're right and it, this is funny because this is my four-year-old could make that assumption or make that con- come to that conclusion with his hot wheel and and a lego person uh this is something that we've been saying over and over which was one of the biggest red flags for police to say wait a second how did his feet end up facing the highway and his head end up facing the parking lot. That doesn't make any sense at all. So yeah, I mean, we could, we could drive that point into the ground, but I won't. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we really could. Now you, in your podcast, which I found incredible and I put it in the show notes for this. And so if anyone wants to go listen, she, Awalani goes into detail about things that happened at the funeral home that I wasn't even aware of that just really for Grant did not make sense for Grant. Um, Could you just sort of go into that and and just speak like no one's heard your podcast before, because I think a lot of these people haven't. So yeah. Absolutely. So one of the first things we learn in funeral services is what the arrangement conference is. And it's crazy because even though part of the human experience is our mortality and our death, we actually don't really know the process of funeral arrangements until, you know, it's our loved one that passes away. But you start with the arrangement conference and that's pretty much a meeting between the funeral director and your next of kin or whoever is going to, you know, pay for or arrange the funeral. And it's supposed to be an intimate gathering. In fact, in my textbooks, they recommend that we don't do this at a desk. You don't want it to be a business transaction. In fact, they really encourage that the funeral director sits right next to the people that they're talking to. You want it to be really informal because you're meeting people on the worst day of their lives, truly. And the more you make it a business transaction, the less that you are actually helping them emotionally. And that's what this is all about. In funeral services, there are two major tenets. The first one that comes before anything else is servicing the client families in the community. The second is making sure you have the money to do it. And that's crazy because, you know, normally with every other business, it's profit, profit, profit. But no, in funeral services, even if you have accounts receivable still open, Make sure that family has a funeral. Make sure their loved one is taken care of. That's always the priority. And in every single step of the funeral process for Grant, he was not a priority and he was not taken care of. And that really all started with the arrangement conference. That's usually the first time we're kind of um, setting an example of what the experience is going to be like. And rather than it being an intimate meeting, Aaron decided to... Sorry for my dog. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Aaron, <okay. laughs> 
she's also upset about it, but she, (laughs) yeah, Aaron decided to come in with, I believe it was Steve Berger and someone else from Grace Christian Academy. And that is the most bizarre thing to me, because of course you can bring friends and family to the arrangement conference. It's not, you know, it doesn't have to just be mom and dad, but it's the fact that there were two people that had nothing to do with Grant. Mm -hmm. And in fact, had nothing to do with helping Gracie either. So why were they coming up out of the blue? Another thing with the arrangement conference is that it is supposed to truly, in essence, be a meeting about what is best for your loved one. It's not about what's the fanciest funeral. It's not about, you know, any particular one thing. It's how do we remember your loved one to the best of our ability? And that means, you know, if we're going to get a singer from your church, We'll do that. If that means getting a casket with like a baseball decal, if you wanted that, you'd get that. And in this arrangement conference, they weren't asking Angie and Aaron what would work for their family. They were telling Angie, this is what's going to happen. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And that was such a red flag. That's not how funerals go. It's never been like that. Now, let me ask you, what was the name of the funeral director? I believe her name is Pam Stevens. Pam Stevens. And she was working directly with Aaron Solomon. And you're saying that Aaron and Pam and Steve and whoever were kind of telling Angie, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, which is so bizarre because Mm. parents have equal rights when it comes to the disposition of their children. And that's that is a general thing. So the fact that they were taking the word of people who weren't even related to Grant over his own mother is just so unethical. And on top of that, too, um, you're always you have to fill out the release paperwork when you're at the hospital because you have to make sure that the remains get transferred safely, that they're going to the right funeral home, everything. And the fact that Pam Stevens left her personal phone number on that paperwork is so unprofessional because it crosses that line of, you know, being there for the family versus an inappropriate connection. They always encourage us, you know, to be available to the family. Uh, We also have to do what's called aftercare. So that's the appropriate kind of counseling and following up with the family after the funeral. And you may give them, you may give them a business number or business email, but you don't give your personal cell phone to client families. It's unprofessional. It's the same way that you would do with any other business. You're not giving your personal phone number if you are representing your business. This just goes along with the whole like Steve Berger, Aaron Solomon, they get special treatment by everybody in Tennessee. That's so crazy. Can you get into, and sorry, do you know, what is the funeral home called? 
I believe it was Williamson Memorial. Yes. I actually, okay. yeah, I have that paperwork here. I think it was okay. Williamson Memorial Home. And it was one of the funeral homes that actually has the cemetery attached to it. That's not always something that happens. Right. Um, right. Sometimes they're commissioning or uh, burying people in a cemetery that's not connected to the funeral home. Um, and that was the case for this. They ended up having four grave plots because I wanted to get into the grave plots for Grant. Right. And mm-hmm. I guess the way that Pam had explained it to Angie was that they, um, the way that the plots are grouped are in kind of like groups of four. And okay. so Angie and Aaron had agreed, okay, we'll obviously buy the one plant for, or the one plot for Grant. And then the other three will buy just so he has space on either side of him. And I think that's a great idea. That way you give your loved one some space and maybe not feel so cramped. And so they agreed on that. They bought all four plots. Now, Angie and Aaron had some type of counseling session with Gracie there. And Aaron insisted, okay, we're going to be a family again. We're going to be a family again. But they never were a family. Mm -hmm. From day one, they were never a family. And when Angie and Gracie uh, set that boundary with him again, because they have spent their entire lives trying to set that boundary with him, Mm -hmm. he got upset. He went to the funeral home and he put Gracie, Angie's, and his own names, respectively, on grave one, three, and four. And to be fair, buying your grave plot while you're still alive is not bizarre by any means. It's actually more of a trend now. Um, it's considered pre-need. So you have pre-need arrangements where you can actually decide every single detail of your funeral and your disposition while you're alive. And it's actually encouraged that you do that because you're guaranteeing that one, your family doesn't have to worry and guess about what you want. And two, any type of budgeting or religious requirements, it can be insured while you're still here to verify everything. So okay, that I, in itself. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to just quickly go back um, yes. to what you said when you said that Aaron bought these plots after this counseling session, because this is something that has been brought up to me via email from listeners. And I, and this is this, we've touched upon this briefly in previous episodes, but Aaron being the narcissist that he is, he said at the hospital when Grant was dead, okay, minutes after he died, he said to Angie and Gracie, those exact words, we're going to be a family again, which is so bizarre, creepy. And then just to hear the timeline of when and how he bought these three grave plots just makes my the hairs on my arm stand on end. It's just, it's crazy. But anyway, continue. Oh yeah. No. Uh, when Angie told me that I was in shock because mm-hmm. he's using the exact same wording. We're going to be a family again. We're going to be a family right. again. This is that recurring theme that keeps popping up for him. And it's part of his control over them is mm-hmm. like, oh yeah. So if we can't be a family in life, we will be a family in death. And that is horrifying. It is horrifying. It's, it's it's terrible. Um, You mentioned something else on your podcast about, which is super important about what Pam Stevens did to Grant's clothes. 
Oh, yes. Oh, wow. I, I'm right there with you, Lauren, where reading all these details, I mean, I got chills. I had to pace because I was getting upset over this. And the mishandlings, the mishandlings of everything and every person involved with, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because, you know, it's sad to say, but at this point in time where we're at as the United States, we're almost expecting the police department there's there's something wrong. We're almost expecting, even in the medical field, for there to be bias. But the fact that the funeral home, where their only job, and I'm not minimizing the role of the funeral home as someone going into that business, but <laughs> their only job is to ensure that we have a funeral and we have some type of disposition and that you take care of this body. And the fact that Pam Stevens and that funeral home could not perform their basic tasks is beyond disappointing. So one of those tasks, like you mentioned, is cataloging what comes on the body. Now, this is super duper important because, you know, let's say if Grant had died with his glasses on, you know, maybe Angie wanted him to have his glasses on during the open casket funeral, but maybe, for example, she wants to keep the glasses after the funeral. So on that inventory sheet, you would write, okay, we're keeping it for the funeral. And then after the funeral, we need to give it back to her and she has to sign everything. It's supposed to be very, very meticulously cataloged. Everything, the socks, the shoes, the underwear. If they have, you know, uh, a couple of buttons in their pocket, because you never know what it means to the family. You never know. So what was so upsetting about that is that Pam did like half of that job. I don't I don't know where this funeral inventory is. I don't know if she even inventoried his belongings, but the fact that she got rid of the clothes without informing anyone or asking beforehand, and I will say, I don't know what the regulation is with OSHA as far as biohazard goes in a funeral home, but I know, I mean, I work with OSHA at Universal if, you know, people like vomit or bleed on a costume or something in the park, we have to put it in a biohazard bag. But that happens everywhere. You put things in a biohazard bag. So she just took it upon herself to dispose of the clothes, not tell anyone that she was disposing of them. And that's highly illegal. I mean, it is. There is no. Well, so and these clothes, these were the clothes that Grant came in wearing that were from the scene of the accident. I mean, I'm not trying to be conspiracy theorists here, but who is Pam talking to? And why did nobody subpoena her phone once these clothes were gone? I mean- I agree. Yeah, that is nuts. That is so bad, so bad. And then the last thing that you had brought up, which was just atrocious. And, you know, I want to be sensitive in discussing this, but, you know, Grant- when Angie looked at Grant's full body in the casket, tell me about that. Yeah, of course, of course. So um, if when we have open casket funerals, you know, you don't have the whole casket open. Um, you'll just have the top portion open, the bottom one stays closed. And then I believe it's called like an apron or something like that. And that's that kind of piece of fabric that lays over the bottom of the casket. So you can't see through to the bottom. Um, they're supposed to be laid, you know, in state in a peaceful way. 
And I guess Angie sensed something and she wanted to see Grant in his entirety. And that is completely within her right. And especially as an embalmer, you're doing a whole job. You top to bottom, you have to do the job just because they're showing half doesn't mean you do half the job. So they lifted the bottom half of the casket. And that's when she saw, I believe she said it was his ankle that was twisted or broken. And she was just completely in shock. And who wouldn't be? Mm -hmm. Because that wasn't an injury he went to the hospital with. And so she asked, she did her due diligence and asked the embalmer and the embalmer said to her, yeah, sometimes we have to break their legs to fit them in the casket if they're too tall. Is that a thing? No, no. And I would love to get into that. That is not a thing whatsoever. That is not only a lie, it is illegal because because it's considered mutilation. Whoa. I mean, so, I mean, we, I guess we don't need to get too much into it just because it's, you know, it's, I guess it doesn't, it doesn't help our case here, but this, this just, it's important to note that this happened after the fact. So it just breaks my heart that they just did not take care of this poor sweet boy after he had been through so much. And the fact that Angie had to see this, I mean, that is just jarring. I can only imagine as a mother, how jarring it would be to see my baby's foot like that. I mean, what? Absolutely. And this like, no. And um, she did inform me that it was like a family owned, you know, like third generation funeral home. And one thing that has been confirmed by my actual professors is that, yes, we teach you best practices in school. You learn best practices for your national board exam. But when you get to your actual funeral home and you're doing things the way that they've always done it, things change but you still have to avoid liability. And actually the reason I think this is still just as important, even though it's the funeral stuff is because it shows that corruption that you've been talking about, because corruption is the biggest thing in this case from the start when he was alive all the way up past his burial. And the reason I bring it up too is because again, I don't mean to put on my tinfoil hat here, but There is no reason to break his ankles. And what that indicates to me is that there's something to hide. Okay. I did not think of that, actually. Yes. So, again, I I like to use other cases as precedent, as an example, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, in the case of Lavina Johnson, she was this uh, young girl in the military. She was a Black girl. and it, I, it was the mid-2000s or something like that. And historically, there has been a problem with sexual violence against women in the military, especially women of color. Now, Lavina Johnson, she was found shot dead in her tent. They ruled it a suicide, even though the gun was way too large for her to have positioned it the way that they did. And the reason I bring up the funeral stuff is because they did the same thing to her, where any evidence that could have been gathered from her body was destroyed. So, you know, when you shoot a gun, there's gunpowder residue on your hands that has to be tested. Now, because she had been sexually assaulted, but they didn't go after the guys who may have done it, she could have also had that DNA underneath her fingernails. But instead of testing her hands, 
they glued her gloves on her hands and shipped her out that way. Oh my gosh. Yes. At the funeral home and her father, who is a doctor. And that's what it reminded me of Angie all over again. Her father, a doctor is like, something is wrong here. Why would you glue the gloves onto her hands before even testing for evidence? So that's why to me, again, not trying to sound like a conspiracy theorist, the only foreseeable reason to mutilate Grant's body is to hide something. This is so interesting. So the Williamson County Funeral Home not only burned or got rid of, I just say burned, sorry, they're not, I don't know if they burned them, I'm assuming, but she got rid of Grant's (laughs) clothes and they broke his ankle. And yes. Yeah. And, and this, this case you spoke of, did they ever get the gloves off to test or it's done at that point, right? It was done at that point. Yeah. Because the, the glue that's on there, it, it destroyed all the evidence because it's already hard to get DNA evidence on a porous surface, like skin and stuff like that. So the fact that they had, I'm sure already washed her hands because you do have to wash the body. The fact that they glued it onto her hands already, all that evidence had been destroyed. And like I said, in Grant's case, it feels suspicious that they would feel the need to break his ankle to fit him in the casket because that's also so against what you do in funeral services. When it comes to funerals, you don't change the body or the person to fit the merchandise. You wouldn't, even with clothes, right? So if if your grandpa passes away and you want him to be buried in his wedding tux, right? But let's say grandpa gained 20 pounds. You don't take out grandpa's ribs to make him fit. <laughs> not laughing. No, it's okay. I know, yeah, no. I, I and know. again, I'm not trying to be insensitive at all, but yeah. it's it's because it's so ridiculous and outlandish. That's I mean, what makes you... You Can know? you imagine, don't you just pick up the phone and say, Hey, Grant doesn't fit in the casket. Do you guys want to get a size up? Oh no. Let's break his ankle. Oh, and it's so wrong too. And that's that actually like by law, what I had learned recently, right? So the funeral director has to sign so many contracts when providing services. And so when the funeral director signs a contract to provide a specific casket, they are obligated to do so. And pretty much when you sign that contract, there's two types of warranties that are implied by selling a casket. And those are merchantability and fitness for a particular purpose. So that merchantability is the expectation that the merchandise is going to function in the way that the average consumer expects it to function. So for example, If you have your pallbearers, you know, the people holding the casket, grabbing it by the handles, you expect the handles not to fall off. That's a given. Right, right. And that second part, that fitness for a particular purpose, that's the expectation that the merchandise that you purchase is going to function in the specific way for it was for it that it was purchased. So an example of that is if a family buys a cardboard casket for a person who weighs 500 pounds, the funeral director has a responsibility to share with the family that that specific casket may not function properly for that specific decedent. And so that same tenant applies here. They knew that Grant was 6'3". The average casket fits someone up to 6'5". So that's our first red flag. They shouldn't have had to do that at all. Now, secondly, it is the funeral director, Pam Stevens' responsibility to make sure that she sells him a casket that's going to fit his body. 
So then let's ask ourselves. Yeah, exactly. So why would she sell a casket that's not going to fit him? And on top of that, too, there there are actually ways to adjust the body if, you know, the casket just needs to be an inch or two uh, longer to accommodate them because that bottom half stays closed. You can actually bend their legs. You know, if you were like laying on your back, right, on the beach. Yes, Yes. your legs still bend, of course. You're so right, Awalani. None of this makes sense. And I think speaking to you about all of this should really open our eyes from um, to all of the corruption from the beginning of, of, you know, Grant's life till like his afterlife. I mean, it's just so it's it's just not OK. Um, I'm I'm really distressed over this now exactly. that you put that in perspective for me. Um, well, Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing all of this information. It's been so helpful. If people want to follow you or find you, where can they find you? Yes. So of course you can listen to stories from the mortuary anywhere you get your podcast. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at stories FT Mortuary. It kind of looks like stories featuring the mortuary, but of course the FT stands for from the um, and even though I am in summer semester, so episodes aren't coming out regularly at by the start of August, I should be back on like a biweekly schedule. So that way we are back to giving those who can't speak for themselves a voice again. Well, thank you so much again. And I know that Grant thanks you, Angie and Gracie. Thank you as well. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time out today. And we really need to get justice for this family. They deserve justice. They deserve peace. And we're going to keep fighting until they get that. Wow. She is totally amazing. And it still is just so frustrating to discuss all of these inconsistencies, all of these discrepancies, knowing that doctors like Ray Pinkston and people like Officer Ty Wilson basically closed the case. Yeah, this is what happened. Yep. This all makes sense. It's just mind-blowing to me. But I want to also add that if you follow the Freedom for Gracie Instagram account or Twitter or the Anglican Watch account, there is now a reward being offered. It's a $20,000 reward for any information that leads to a conviction or an arrest in the death of Grant Solomon. So if you have anything, you can email justiceforgrant at anglicanwatch.com. And as always, email me any tips or information you have. I do read through all of the emails and I try to respond to all of them. And they're very, very helpful. Um, Really, really helpful. So thank you. And my email is lauren at magicshack.com. So again, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with another episode next week.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.